Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Her name was Hannah. And she was up against a stronghold. If that's a different term, let me just go back to what we talked about two weeks ago. Our series is called Worlds of Warfare 3. It's on spiritual warfare, and this particular iteration of the series is called The Weapons. And the reason why we talk about strongholds and we talk about spiritual weapons is the Bible says this, for though we live in the world, which we do, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. In other words, we don't fight with human weapons, be they material or emotional or spiritual. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Well, that's where we started. We said Hannah is up up against a stronghold. And two weeks ago, we, we we came to learn what strongholds are. They are a lie that becomes so commonly believed that they become considered truth. And so in your world as an individual and in our world together as Americans and dwellers in the world, we understand how difficult strongholds are. And my guess is that all of us are up against some stronghold today. In other words, there's, there's some sort of entrenched power, some sort of entrenched system, systematized force that shuts us down or keeps us from experiencing what we need to experience as followers of God. Hannah is up against such a stronghold, and she needs to know how to do warfare with these weapons because every power source in her life is against her. We know what power sources are. That's just the juice in life that we depend on, our, our go-to places when we, need, when we need help, when we need power. And I'm guessing that for some of us, those are lighted, and some of, for some of us, those are dark. But none of us is probably where Hannah was, because Hannah was in a situation where all of her power sources went dark. They were all against her. So we'll call the roll. And by the way, if you want to read along with me in the Bible, this is a real easy place to find. We are in 1 Samuel chapter 1. That's where we find the story of Hannah. So let's start here. Let's just say that the culture itself was against Hannah. I mean, you know, hopefully you can depend on the culture for a little bit of help in your life, in your relationship, in your marriage or in your work or your child rearing. But in Hannah's case, she lived in perhaps the worst culture that you'll ever find in the Bible. This particular part of the history of Israel was called the time of the judges. In fact, if you have a Bible with you today or you're on an electronic device looking at the Bible, there's actually a book called Judges. It is the darkest period of God's people's history. There's junk that happens in the book of Judges that I can't even talk about in a mixed audience. It is a terrible time. And you know, you can read all those stories in the book of the Judges and you get to the very last verse of the book and it's as if God has carved this epitaph on the grave marker that marks the time of the Judges. It's the last verse of the book and it simply says, in those days Israel had no king and all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. 
Whoa, sounds a whole lot like America, doesn't it? Everybody did what was seemed right in their own eyes. That could sound like heaven on earth, but there isn't any such thing as hell on earth. I mean, there's such a thing as hell, but if there was such a thing as hell on earth, that would be it. Just everybody doing what they wanted to do with no rules, no guardrails. But that was the world that Hannah lived in. People were doing things, as I said a moment ago, I couldn't even talk about. So the culture was against her. Well, you know, we know that Hannah is from Israel, so consequently we would expect that if the culture were against her, she could fall back on her religion. But that was messed up too. In Hannah's day, during the time of the judges, in this particular time, the the single leader, the, the, the supposedly the greatest religious leader in Israel was a guy by the name of Eli. He was elderly, and he had allowed two of his sons to also become priests, and they were the religious leaders in Israel. But in 1 Samuel 2, verse 17, we read that these religious leaders treated the Lord's offerings with contempt. We could go a verse later, and the Bible would say, now Eli was very old, but he was aware of what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. He knew, for instance, that his sons were seducing the young women who assisted at the entrance of the tabernacle. So if Hannah is looking for help from her religion, no help there. And then life itself seemed to be against her. Actually, this is pretty much where most of her, her stronghold came from. It's always a tragedy if a woman wants to have a baby and can't have a baby. But in Hannah's day, it was far worse. Because in those days, a woman's self-worth was all bound up in her ability to get pregnant and have children. People believed in those days that if a woman couldn't have a baby, it was God's way of saying she wasn't worthy of having a baby. And then they took it a step further and said, well, if a woman couldn't have a baby, she may well have done something bad in her past that God was punishing her for. Well, that wasn't true then and it isn't true now, but you know how strongholds are. It's just junk people believe that after a while begins to be held as truth. Well, let's run a subtotal. The culture's against her. Religion is against her. Biology is against her. Well... Maybe she can turn to her family. That may have been the worst problem that Hannah had. In those days, men had multiple wives. That was never God's plan, but it was something that just happened in those days. And so Hannah was not the only wife in this family. Her husband, Elkanah, had another wife named Penina. Now, that's bad enough. And then on top of that, Penina was able to have babies, and Hannah couldn't have babies. Even that on its face would have been bad enough. But then Penina did a lot of trash talking. She did a lot of taunting. In fact, if you have 1 Samuel chapter 1 before you, you can read with, I mean, we don't have to read right now, you can read it later. But in these days, it was before Jerusalem was the capital of Israel and people went back to Shiloh. And there was this one high week of the year that everybody looked forward to. People would go back, they would worship God, they would have this enormous banquet. It was the high point of the year. But Hannah, even though she loved God very much, she couldn't enjoy going to worship. We read in verse 6, Penina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. It wasn't that the Lord had kept her from having children. That was what Penina taunted her with. Penina just all the way up there ripped her and said, God has kept you from having a baby. 
Is that bad enough? Well, look at verse 7. Year after year, it was the same. Penina would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, what should have been the highest and most wonderful week of the year for Hannah, the Bible says, Hannah was reduced to tears and could not even eat. Even a little bit of good news in Hannah's life found a way to go sideways. Her husband, Elkanah, loved her very much, but even that found a way to hurt her. In verse 8, Elkanah asked her, why are you crying, Hannah? Why aren't you eating? Why be downhearted just because you have no children? You have me. Isn't that better than 10 sons? (laughs) Not much has changed, has it, ladies? (laughs) 3,000 years. I'm sure Elkanah thought he was comforting her, but ladies, you know what this had to do. Is that enough for one woman? Is that enough trouble? Well, you better hear this. Because Hannah, this woman who has the whole world against her, decides that she's going to go by herself to try to find answers from God. So while all the rest of the family is feasting and celebrating, Hannah sneaks away and goes over to the tabernacle, and she begins to pray. Let's read this. In verse 12, it says that she was praying to the Lord, Eli. That's, you know, he's the ultimate religious leader. He watched her, seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound. He thought she must have been drinking. Must you come here drunk? He demanded, throw away your wine. Like I said. Hannah was up against a stronghold. And I'm guessing by this time, you, both men and women, have found something on Hannah's list that's on your list. There's some part of your world that is a stronghold that's stacked against you. So what can Hannah do? And maybe even more importantly, what can you do about it? Well, for all of us who are tempted to use the weapons of this world, and I thought about this because, you know, if Hannah was in 2021 America and this stuff went down, then Hannah could have gotten on social media and talked about how bad things were and how things are going to hell in a handbasket. And she could have, uh, you know, she could have trash talked Penina and got her friends to join in on the contract, you know, on 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 the thread and... And then she could have said, I can't believe I went down to the... You know what that preacher said to me? Well, that's the weapons of the world. But the weapons of the world are not going to do her any good. I mean, she's just too overmatched. The battle coming at her is coming at her from every side. So even though Hannah has all the power centers of the world lodged against her, wait a minute, the Bible tells us the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. What you should know about Hannah is Hannah is a warrior daughter of the living God. She is about to unleash a weapon. She is about to unleash an earth-shaking, demon-chasing, world-changing, stronghold-demolishing weapon against all that is against her. You just heard all the junk that she has against her. Watch her whoop out her weapon, as we used to say in Texas. 1 Samuel 1, 9. Hannah got up and went to pray. Oh, I love that first part. Hannah got up because, you know, we live in an age where being a victim is now a cottage industry. 
And there is a place for comfort. There is a place for sympathy. But I just really believe that all of us who are gathered here today, no matter how we've been hurt, how, how we've been withstood against, none of us wants to lie down in the mud and wallow. There is a point to get up and take up a spiritual weapon. And in Hannah's case, she pulled out prayer. <laughs> oh, we need to talk. Because see, here's the thing. There's stuff that doesn't get said in church because we wouldn't dare say this in church. We might not even let ourselves go here. But here at New Spring, we always unscrew the halo, so we're going to need to <laughs> we're gonna need talk about this. What would you say if how you really felt about prayer were to be articulated? I mean, I know if we had, you know, if we had media out here with a microphone and you're walking out and they ask me, what do you think about prayer? I'd tell them I believe in prayer. I believe in the power of God and I believe in the power of prayer. I'd say that. But if you were to look at my schedule, you know, someone has said, if you want to know what kind of Christian you are, look at your date book and your checkbook. If someone were to look at my schedule and then out of my schedule, the words would come out how I really feel about prayer. Wonder what I would say. What would you say? You know what I'm afraid a lot of us would have to say? We'd have to say, I don't think prayer is really all that powerful. In other words, a lot of us as Christ followers... We think about prayer as something we're supposed to do, like taking our vitamins and eating shredded wheat. So it's like, yeah, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian's pray, so I need to like take five minutes and talk to God today. Is your Bible open to me? Do you want to know how powerful prayer is? If you're reading this story in 1 Samuel, look at the name of the book you're reading. It is 1 Samuel. Do you know what the name of the next book is? This is deep. <laughs> Second Samuel. Do you know who Samuel is? Samuel is the baby that Hannah had when she prayed this prayer. He turned out to be the spiritual rock star that turned this nation around. So maybe those of us as Christians who, if we were honest, had to say, I don't think prayer is all that important, we might ought to look at our warrior sister, Hannah, and see how she did some battle. So let's go here. Do you know what prayer is? Well, I know the answer. I grew up in church, so I know the answer I was taught in Sunday school, and it's technically true. We would say prayer is talking to God. True. That is, that is how prayer occurs functionally, but it's not what prayer is. Here is the best definition I can give us. As we're, we're discussing today this spiritual weapon that has the power to demolish strongholds. Here is perhaps the purest definition I can come up with on prayer. Prayer is taking the case that you lost in the lower, lower courts to the appeals, strike that. Prayer is taking the case you lost in the lower courts to the Supreme Court. Now, you saw what I saw. Hannah has lost every one of her cases in the lower courts. 
She goes to the religion court, and the religion court said, Hannah, you're wrong, you lose. She goes to the culture court. The culture court said, Hannah, you're wrong, you lose. She goes to the biology court, and the biology court says, Hannah, you're wrong, you lose. She goes to family court, and Panina's there in the black robe with the gavel, and Panina comes down with the gavel and says, Hannah, you're wrong, you lose. She goes to the marriage court to her well-intentioned husband who's sitting behind the bench, and he says, Hannah, you're wrong, you lose. You ought to be thankful for me. And then even when she tries to appeal her case and goes to see Eli, the appeals court just told her again she was wrong and that she was drunk. New Spring, please, please, please. Hannah said to herself, I don't believe I have to accept these verdicts. I'm a daughter of the living God. And I know these lower courts have ruled against me, but I don't think I have to accept these verdicts. I really do believe there is a higher court and I'm going to take my court. I'm going to take my case to that court. First Samuel 1, 9, Hannah got up and went to pray. And when that verdict came down, it was different from all the other courts. That court said, Hannah, you're right. And you win. And your baby's going to be named Samuel. And by the way, I'm going to give you a bunch more kids. That's in the story. I didn't even tell that in the other services. <laughs> prayer, New Spring, prayer is appealing your case to the Supreme Court. Now, one more thing before we leave Hannah. Somebody could say, well, Mark, this is all very good and very exciting, but I'm just too beat up to do warfare. You don't, you don't know what losing in all those other courts has done to me. I'm just so beat up, I don't feel like praying. I want you to watch something with me. We're going to go back to 1 Samuel 1 for just a moment. This is right after Eli accuses her of being drunk. Now watch what she says. Oh, no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am, next two words, very discouraged. And I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think I'm a wicked woman, for I have been, heads up again, praying out of great anguish and sorrow. Next verse. The family returned home. When Elkanah slept with Hannah, the Lord remembered her plea, and in due time she gave birth to a son, called him Samuel, because she said, I asked God for him. Now, I love the balance there, because we see how Hannah came, and we see God working. What were the words that Hannah said? On one side, she said, I am very discouraged. I'm in great anguish. I'm in great sorrow. But then on the other hand, God heard her plea. And at the end of the year, she had a baby. Listen, guys. Listen to me, please. Prayer. The strength of your prayer is not in your praying. The strength of your prayer is not the words that you can stream together. The strength of your prayer is not being in a strong place spiritually when you pray, the strength of your prayer is in the verdict of the high court. Could I say that one more time? The strength of your prayer is in the verdict of Almighty God. I don't have to be strong when I come to pray. In fact, some of the greatest prayers you may ever pray are in times of desperation when you can just barely get the words out of your mouth and you don't, you don't even know how to pray. Don't worry about that. We never know how to pray according to the book of Romans chapter 8. The Bible says we don't know how to pray, but the Holy Spirit of God, who speaks the same language as God, takes our prayers and conforms them to the will of God. Mary Alice and I read that in our devotions this morning. Okay. In the next few moments, if you'll just give me about 15 minutes, I want us to rethink prayer. Because, see, I want you to have this mighty weapon that pulls down strongholds. So here we go. There are four thoughts. We're finished. Here's number one. 
We have to see prayer as a weapon against the dark side. Could I say it one more time, put a different inflection on it? We need to see prayer as a weapon against the dark side. One of my favorite worship songs that we sing here in New Spring has this lyric in it. This is how we fight our battles. This is how we fight our battles. We don't use sarcasm. We don't use criticism. We don't use anger. We don't use hostility. Prayer is how we fight our battles. Now, heads up for a moment. Our feelings, that's how we feel. Feelings tell us that prayer is a passive exercise. In all my years of pastoring, I've heard this time and time again. People will say to me, well, I guess all we can do is pray now. Hey, that was all we could ever do in the first, that's the most powerful thing we could ever do in the first place. But it's like, well, I've tried this and I've tried this and I've spent money and I've gone here and I've worked hard. I guess all we can do now is just pray. <laughs> See, feelings tell us that prayer is a passive exercise. Faith tells us prayer is a mighty weapon that demolishes strongholds. Call the role of scripture. What do you see? There's Moses holding up his hands in prayer when the battle is raging. There's Esther when the king, uh, when wicked Haman wanted to destroy all the Jews, just like Hitler. Esther calling her team together and fasting and praying. Hezekiah laying open that trash-talking letter from Sennacherib in the temple before God. And Paul and Silas in the prison. Call the roll and you'll see the people of God said, this is how we fought our battles. Jeremiah 33.3. Who am I talking to today? You say, Mark, thank you for this message, but I've already tried everything. Wait a moment for a moment. Look at Jeremiah 33.3. God said, call unto me. And I will answer you, and I'll show you things you've never seen. I'll show you stuff you don't know. See, that's the problem. We get to the edge of what we know, and I say, well, I guess there's nothing that can be done. Wait a minute. The Bible says, call unto me, and I will answer you, and I'll show you things I've figured out you could never figure out on your own. All you new springers know how I love Psalm 50, 14, and 15. Make thankfulness your sacrifice to God. Keep the vows you've made to the Most High. Then call on me when you're in trouble, and I will answer you. And you will give me glory. I love that. Call on me when you're in trouble. Who's in trouble today? Then call on God. Because he said, call on me when you're in trouble. And then God said, I will answer you. And then you'll get back down there to New Spring when they start singing and you'll give me glory. Or any place else you'll give God glory. Okay. That's thought number one. We see prayer as a weapon. Number two. We have to see prayer as an appeal to the Supreme Court. See, if we fail to believe that prayer is the Supreme Court, we probably won't pray much, and even if we do, our prayers won't be effective. See, many of us see prayer as an option. It's, it's one of a lot of things that I do, and it's like, oh yeah, I guess I should probably pray about this too. Well, when we say that, even if we don't even articulate it, what we are really saying is we don't see prayer as the Supreme Court. We see it as one voice among many. But I, I look in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the Bible says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, please God, for anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists or he is. In other words, 
You must believe that he's God. You must believe he's the Supreme Court because if I just come think, well, God, you're one voice among many, then it's, it all falls apart. When I come before God, I have to understand, God, your word is the word. Your word is the answer. You are the Supreme Court. Now, here's the problem. Many times we've had bad experiences with religion, like Hannah had. And maybe we've had bad experiences with people that we trusted in the spiritual realm, and they let us down. And that can be a problem, because sometimes we can begin to transfer our bad experiences with religion and put it on God. This happened to a man in Jesus' day. He had a son who was afflicted by a demon. He had asked Jesus' disciples if they could help their little boy and, or I don't know, he may have been a teenager. I don't know how old he was, but they asked the disciples if they could help and they, they couldn't help. And they tried and it was kind of embarrassing. Jesus and three other disciples have been up on the Mount of Transfiguration and Jesus comes down and the dad sees Jesus walking up now. And here's what happened next. The man, the dad said to Jesus, have mercy on us and help us if you can. I don't really blame him for feeling like that because he had just spent some time with Jesus' disciples, and he couldn't do anything. So he looked at Jesus and said, well, if you can help us. And look at what Jesus said, verse 23. What do you mean, if I can? He asked, or Jesus said, anything is possible if a person believes. So in other words, if I'm going to pray this demon-chasing, earth-shaking, heaven-coming-down kind of prayer that I need to demolish strongholds, I'm going to have to believe that prayer is the supreme court. We have a lot of attorneys at New Spring. It's been my joy to meet a lot of them, but I remember several years ago I had a friend who tried several cases before the Supreme Court. We were having lunch one day. <clears throat> he said, Mark, trying a case before the Supreme Court is like no other experience. He said, it's unlike any other courtroom. He said, trust me on this, you're very aware that you're in the Supreme Court. He said, stuff that works in other courtrooms, forget about it there. He said, lawyer tricks before a local jury, that's pointless in the Supreme Court. He said, when that white light comes on, it's your turn to talk. And when the red light comes on, it's your turn to be quiet. He said, when that white light comes on, you better get down to business because you're in the Supreme Court and you feel it. Well, prayer's not exactly like that, but we need to feel it too. I mean, prayer is not <clears throat> wandering by the throne of God and asking him if there's anything he'd like to add. <laughs> I've prayed prayers like that. Oh, God, I've talked to everybody else. Now, is there anything? Would you like to speak to this? Is there something you'd like to add? Do you, do you have any suggestions that you'd like to offer? Man, that's not prayer. You're in the Supreme Court. Now, here's something else, and I need to talk about this right now because here's the thing. When we appeal our case to the Supreme Court, we have to accept the ruling of the Supreme Court. I want to give, this is my 36th year to pastor here. I'm going to give the simplest thought I've ever given in 36 years. But let me just say this. For all of us here in South Auditorium, North Auditorium, watching online, watching on television, there are three groups of us. First of all, there's the group of us that doesn't really pray. We may pray when we're in desperation, but really when it gets right down to it, we really don't pray much. We may be Christ's fault, maybe saved, but we don't pray. And then there are some of us who pray misguided prayers. And there's a problem with our praying and it doesn't get answered. And sometimes 
we throw it down and we go back to group one and we don't pray. But the problem is not with God. The problem is with me. And then there's a third group here. And these are the women and men who know how to use prayer as a spiritual weapon. So what would be the difference? What would be the distinction? Like I said, this is the, you're, you're going to be embarrassed when you see how simple this is. And you're going to say, Mark, we're a way too sophisticated audience for something this simple. But just work with me for a moment. No prayer is my needs, my plan, and my power. Show me any of us who don't pray, and that's the way we think. My needs, my plan, my muscle, my power. I don't even involve God. I know what I need. I know what to do. I know how to do it. And that's a pretty scary way to live. So what would be the difference between that and a misguided prayer? Misguided prayer says, my needs, my plan, but I want your power. That's not a God. That's a genie. (laughs) See, we're rubbing the lamp. It's like, God, I, I know what I need. I know what needs to be done here and how to do this. So God, would you just sort of give me some of that juice that you have from heaven and, and, you just be my servant and, and do what, give me my three wishes. Spiritual warfare prayer goes like this. My needs, your plan, your power. God, I'm not coming to tell you what to do. I, I, like Hannah, you remember what Hannah said? I, I'm, I'm very discouraged and my heart's broken and, and I don't feel very strong here. God, that, that, that's what I need. She didn't come to God and say, God, here's the plan. I've already thought this out. I've worked it out. I've been thinking about it. If it is to be, it's up to me. I went to the conference and I went to the seminar and I heard that and wrote that down. If it is to be, it's up to me. So I've got the plan here. And look, God, just give me some juice. No. The most powerful prayer you can ever pray is, God, this is my need. This is my brokenness. This is the stronghold that I'm up against in my marriage. This is the stronghold that I have with my kids. God, this is the stronghold that I'm up against with my emotions. And I don't know what to do here, God, but you're the God with the plan. You wrote the code for DNA. Certainly you can figure out my little problems. God, your plan and your power. Number two, prayer is recognizing we're talking to the Supreme Court. Number three, I'm only going to talk about it for a minute because I'm still learning about it. I guess I'll come back and teach you the rest of it when I learn it all. But number three is we have to see prayer as a whole arsenal of weapons. Now listen to this. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, the Bible says, pray in the Spirit at all times. That means literally whatever you're doing while you're doing it, pray in the Spirit. But look at this, with all kinds of prayers. Man, prayer is not just one weapon. It's all kind of weapons. And um, I'll just leave that with you because I think the Holy Spirit will help you with it today. We'll come back and talk about that more. But I'll close with number four. We have to see prayer. Because remember, this is all about rethinking prayer. We have to see prayer as being for us. I mean, you and me. A few moments ago, I talked about a lot of times we don't pray. It could be because we think we're too busy or we don't know how powerful it is. But I really wonder if a lot of us don't pray because we wonder, would God really want to hear from me?
You know, that's the thing about you and me. We know ourselves better than everybody else. I mean, think of it as, if you're a new springer, my guess is that there's probably a woman here that really walks with God, and you're like, I bet God hears her prayer. <laughs> or there's a, maybe a man here, and you're like, well, I bet God listens to him, but I don't know if he would listen to me. See, that's the thing. You and I know ourselves. We know all the things we've done. We know the stuff that we would never even let anybody know we ever thought about doing. And beyond that, we know what we've thought about doing that we would do if we didn't get arrested. And knowing us as we know ourselves, it's like, I don't know. Would, I keep hearing in the Bible how God is this awesome God. Would that kind of awesome God want to hear from me? Or it could be like me. I have an emotion. I mean, I have an anxiety disorder. I know what it's like. Some of you deal with depression. Some of you deal with similar kinds of things. It's like, Mark, I just, sometimes I just can't even get my head to be straight. Would God want to hear from me? Book of James, deep in the New Testament. But James is not going to talk about the New Testament for a moment. He's going to go way back in time and talk about the Old Testament. And he talks about a particular character. And I've got to tell you this. When I get to heaven, I want to see Jesus. I want to see my family. But not long after I see all those, I want to see this guy. His name is Elijah, and he and I are like this. <laughs> if I could find myself in the Bible, I'd find myself in Elijah. There are no pastels in my personality. I mean, when I'm higher, when I'm up, nobody's higher. When I'm low, nobody's lower. And I can have this glorious spiritual victory one day, and the next day it's like starting from scratch. That's how Elijah was. I mean, one day he's doing powerful stuff for God. The next day he wants to quit. You can read about Elijah. There was a time when Israel was so deep in idolatry that Elijah stood out there on top of Mount Carmel, not far off the coast of Israel. He stood up on top of Mount Carmel and he said to all the people, if, why are you worshiping Baal one day and God one day? He said, if Baal is God, then worship Baal. And if God is God, worship God. And Elijah said, we're going to have a test here. He said, we're going to bring out a bull and we're going to build an altar. And the, you Baal boys, you can go first and call on your God. And, and, if, and when you get through, I'm going to call on Jehovah God. And if one of the gods strikes down fire and burns up the sacrifice. We'll know that's the real God. Elijah knew there was no real God in Baal. So he was, and, and, and I, love, I, love, I love Elijah's style because he gave them all morning long and they went nuts and they were out cutting themselves and screaming and yelling and all this and nothing was happening. And Elijah said, maybe your God is deaf and he can't hear. Why don't you call louder? And I mean, it's, it's, it got worse. He said, maybe your God has gone to the restroom. I mean, it's just, that's in the Bible. I'm telling you, I like this guy. And then after they spend all morning, you know, begging their God that doesn't exist to send fire from heaven, Elijah said, okay, we're going to rebuild the altar. He said, I'm the only one here as a prophet of God, and 850 of you. So not, not only did he put the bullock on the altar, he poured 12 bottles of water, barrels of water on top of it. If I'm hoping for spontaneous combustion, I don't create a very soggy bull. And then Elijah prayed what is 58 words in English. He didn't pray in English. I mean, it's 58 words in our English Bible. And the fire from heaven fell and licked up the sacrifice. And the people said, God is God. We will worship him. And Elijah's like, we win. 
Hold on, though. The wicked Queen Jezebel heard what he did, and she sent him a text. <laughs> allow a little anachronism. Jezebel said, I heard you killed all my prophets. May the gods do the same to me by this time tomorrow if I don't kill you by this time tomorrow. Well, Elijah just saw the fear. He just saw the fire of God fall. He's not worried, right? No. He starts running for his life and telling God he wants to quit. And God, you never finish anything. And he let me die. That's That's why I'm saying when I look at Elijah, I see so much of market. I mean, our personalities are like this. Now, I want you to hear what James said about him, because if you're thinking whether or not prayer might be for you, watch this. James said, Elijah, and I'm reading this out of the authorized because I think it's the best translation. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. That's euphemistic for saying he was about as whacked as we are. (laughs) Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain for the space of three and a half years. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain. Did you see what I saw? Elijah was like us up and down, having a few issues with his emotions. And James said, but he prayed and God heard his prayer. Prayers for you. Are you God's daughter? Are you God's son? Prayers for you. This is how we fight our battles. I mean, the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Look what your sister Hannah did. Look at how Hannah waged warfare. Everything was against her. And she said, I don't have to accept those verdicts. We're going to the Supreme Court. Okay, it's time to close. I want to talk to you warrior daughters out there. Do you have a case pending? Have you lost in some lower courts? Then I would, go to, I would go to my secret place if I were you and start working on a brief. I would start looking for a brief to file in the Supreme Court and say, God, they said I was wrong, couldn't win. I, I, I'm, I'll tell you what my need is. I don't have the plan. I don't have the power, but God, I'm going to file a brief in your court. Where, where, where's the warrior sons of God out there? Because here's the thing I know about a lot of guys. A lot of guys are like, there's stuff going on between your ears. You don't want to tell anybody. Because you, you know what it's like? I mean, you're used to being large and in charge, and it's just kind of a man thing not to talk about it. And you carry that, and it, it just is a stronghold up against you every day. Well, sir, I would go to my secret place, and I'd start working on a brief to file in the Supreme Court. Because this is how we fought our battles. This is how we fought our battles. Let's pray. If you're here today and you say, Mark, I want to make sure that I am God's child because this is available for all of God's children. You just say, Mark, I want to be sure that I'm in God's family. I saw the baptism testimonies. I want to be sure that I know that God is my God and Jesus is my Savior. Well, the good news for that is prayer is how you do that. That's right. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, you can just take that straight to the Supreme Court and say, God, I want to be forgiven. I want to be your child. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he arose from the grave. Here's what I'm going to do right now. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'll pray each line slowly. But if you want to go right to the Supreme Court and be sure that you're forgiven, 
and that heaven is your home forever. Why don't you pray with me? I'll pray it slowly. You can decide if you want to say it. Doesn't even have to be out loud. Same thing online, on television. Ready? Here we go. Dear God, I am a sinner and I can't save myself. But I believe you love me so much that Jesus died for me. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he arose from the grave. And because Jesus is alive, I want him to be my savior and my king. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just pray with me, now wherever you are on campus now, take an extra few moments. I have a gift for you. It's got a, there's a new spring Bible in this box, a book that I wrote that I think will answer a lot of questions. There's even a cool journal in here with a pen. It says, pray until something happens. Well, how about that for today? And all you have to do, if you get, I promise you, no, no, no agenda, no, no strings. If you just pray for me, we want to take your first steps with you. So take out your phone right now and text the word prayed, P-R-A-Y-E-D, to 97,000. When you get back to any info center, they'll be ready to, have, to give this to you. They won't hassle you, bother you. They just want to give this to you. Say, Mark, I don't have my phone. Just go back to your info center and say, I pray with Mark. That's all you have to do. Any of those blue and white info centers. Thanks for being here. We'll talk about the next weapon next week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.